forthright with you. As I was preparing for this message in particular, and I feel this generally when I have the opportunity to preach, but I, as I was preparing throughout this week, I felt relatively frequently this sense of unworthiness. I'm just like, man, I am so unworthy to, to stand up and talk to you all about this. And it's just an overwhelming feeling that I've had. And it's, it's quite a big thing to, to prepare for, to, to preach God's word. Um, but throughout this week and uh, other weeks that I've preached, God continually reminds me, which I always appreciate. He continually reminds me that that I don't have to be worthy because he's appointed me for this and the Holy Spirit lives in me and he's going to speak this morning regardless. So, um, But I, I say that because as I looked at this passage, as I looked through scripture and what we're talking about today, I just have this strong sense, like I don't have this figured out. I really don't. Brian and I have the opportunity to, to preach and to speak to you all, but we don't have this all figured out. We really don't. We're still wrestling through scripture. We're still wrestling to figure out how to follow Jesus in our day-to-day lives. So I don't know if you, what perception you have of me or Brian when we're up here speaking. I mean, maybe you already think I'm a schmuck. That's fine. But, you know, if you hold me on a pedestal by any means, please don't because I'm just a normal, normal guy. I'm like you guys. We're all just trying to follow Jesus together. Um, but I'm really excited for this morning because as I was preparing for this and feeling this sense of inadequacy and like I don't have this figured out, I just very much felt like God was continuing to, to teach me and to speak to me in the midst of all this. And I think that some of the things that, that he showed me in the midst of this passage will be very relevant to you as well. But we're at a point where we're continuing through this book of Philippians. And this has been a series we've been in for a handful of months. Some of you may, are, may be ready for it to be over. Um, some of you may be at a point like me where I just feel like I'm just scratching the surface in this book. and like, there's so much that I don't know still. So... Um, we've been going really slowly recently. We're in chapter four. We've been going a couple verses at a time, and that's the case today. We're only going to cover two verses, but as Brian has been doing the last couple weeks, he's been reading this whole section because as much as we love to go verse by verse or just, you know, dissect a couple verses at a time, we have to make sure that we keep this a part of the larger thought because if we don't, then we miss out what Paul's really writing here. He wrote this as a letter, and this is a very big flow of thought that we, we, we miss out if we only focus on a couple verses at a time. So um, I want to read this in a second. But if you were here the last couple weeks, uh, one of the biggest themes, there's two very big themes in, in chapter four of Philippians, and that is the joy of the Lord, rejoice in God, and God's peace. Last week, Brian talked us through the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which is in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He talked us through that, and he did a great job. But I struggle with that verse. I want to be honest with you. I struggle with that verse that says, if we pray, if we pray and petition to God with all thankfulness, that the peace of God, will tra- this, which transcends all understanding, think something we can't even understand, will, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I struggle with that verse because there have been so many times in my life, and maybe you can relate with this, there's been times in my life where things are hard, things are difficult, there's conflict, there's tension, and I pray, but I don't feel any different. I don't feel any different. And it seems to indicate, and as people have, have quoted this to me before in the past, and sometimes I've used it even, we almost use this cheap Christian cliche of just give it to God. If you're struggling, just give it to God. It'll be okay. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> There's been a handful of times in my life where I'm like, I think I'm giving it to God. I'm praying, but nothing's happening. What's going on? 
I can't see God. I don't even see what I'm giving. How do I give, some, how do I give this to God? It doesn't make sense to me. So if you have ever experienced that where you've prayed, you've asked God to take something or to, to cover your situation, and you haven't felt that peace, I want you to know that you're not alone. Um, I've gone through that as well, and it can be very, very difficult, especially when, if, if that's our expectation, if we pray and we're supposed to feel this peace, but we don't feel anything, then we start asking the question, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Or is this whole thing a sham? What's going on? I don't know. So I want you to know that I struggle with that verse, and one of the reasons why I'm so excited about today is because we get to finish this thought. And I think that some of the things that Paul mentioned today really help flush out, what does this mean to experience the peace of God? What does this mean to, to really pray and give something over to him? So I want to read this whole flow of thought. We're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read vor, uh, verses 4 through 9. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page 832. I'd love for you to follow along. This is what Paul writes to the Philippians and to us today. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the verse that I've been struggling with. But he continues, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So as we think about these concepts of rejoicing in the Lord always or understanding how do we experience the peace of God, we have to put it in light of these last two verses, verse 8 and 9, because Paul gives us some instructions. Paul tells us two things, essentially. All this boils down to think differently and live differently. Think differently and live differently. And I want to start and spend a good amount of time on this first one. Think differently. Paul tells us to think differently. He gives us this really long list. Paul is the master of lists. He is. I don't know. If you, if you read much of his letters throughout Scripture, I mean, he'll talk about something and he'll just throw out 17 words, just boom, 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 boom. And it's like, whoa, whoa, where did all this come from? And sometimes we think, oh man, he, he must have spent seven hours picking the exact right words to mean the exact right thing. And we, we kind of dissect this. But I honestly think Paul is just great at thinking of a topic. He's like, okay, they, th they should think about good godly things. So he just throws out the first eight words that come to his mind. And he gives us these words. I do think it is helpful for us to break them down a little bit, just, but just realize, Paul's just saying, like, think about these things. But he uses these words, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. I want to look at some of these words pr primarily because some of these are a little bit more foreign to us. We don't think about these very often in our culture today, in Western civilization. This first word that he points out is true. Whatever is true, think about those things. Whatever is true. So if we think about true, what, what qualifies as being true? It's something that's, that's not an illusion. It's not fake. It's not a lie. It's reliable. It's sturdy. You can trust it. It's, it's true. It is right. 
And there's so many different areas I could think about to, to talk about truth and what is truth and what should we be thinking about, but I felt very convicted personally uh, by God this week to think about how do I see myself? I wanna focus a little bit on truths, personal truths, and how we see ourselves because we're really good at believing lies about ourselves. We're really, really, really good at it. And sometimes it seems like it comes out of nowhere and it often sounds a lot like our own voices, but sometimes we get in our minds and we constantly think these things about ourselves that are incorrect, that are lies. And even if we may realize that it's stupid that we're thinking those things, we think them over and over and over and over and over again to the point where we start acting out of them as if those are the truth of who we are. So I wanna read some of these things that I've reflected on. These are things that I've told myself over the years in my mind that have, that have, have resonated over. So maybe you can relate with some of these. You are not loved. You are not loved. No one likes you. No one notices you. You're unnoticed, underappreciated. You're alone. Nobody understands. Nobody can possibly understand you. You're alone. You can't share what you're struggling with because people are gonna judge you. They're going to leave you. They're going to abandon you. You're not good at anything. You can't do anything right. That's just who you are. You're never gonna change. You can't change. Why fight it? See, these are the, some of the things that we believe that we just resonate on and tell ourselves over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we can interject and come back in and like, that's ridiculous, I know that's not true, but then we keep thinking about them and they stay in our minds and we start operating as if those are true of us. So I think this is so important for us to realize because when we think about those things, when we dwell on lies, there's no possible way you're going to experience the peace of God. You're not gonna experience peace if that's what you're telling yourself, if that's what you're believing. You're just not. It's not gonna happen. So on the flip side, we have to think about what is true. And for what is true of us personally, we have to run to God, we have to run to scripture. Because if we really dig into this book and realize what God says about us, what is true of us, all of those are flat out lies. All of them. You are loved. The God of the universe created you to be uniquely you with a purpose. You are loved, you are cherished. You are not alone. You are not alone. We are all in the same boat together. God has created us to be with each other, to support each other. We all deal with some of the same things. The lies of the enemy, they wa the enemy wants us to believe that we're alone, so we stay isolated. We're not alone. You can do things right. God has designed you to be you, and only you can be you. So we look into this, and we really dig into Scripture. If you're curious, if you're taking notes, just look at Psalm 139. You look at Psalm 139, you see the amount of care and attention to detail God took when he made you, when he created you. You're not an accident. You are loved and you are cherished. We have to believe these things about ourselves and we have to remind ourselves. We have to run to the truth of God's word. This is the ultimate truth right here. If we run to this and run to each other, right, as a community, support each other and constantly remind each other of the truth of who we are in Christ, 
then we can better believe that and think about what is true of us and stop believing the lies. Because when we believe the lies, we no longer live as God intended us to live, as he designed us. And we will not experience the peace of God or the joy that he has to offer us. We, will, we won't. I want to tell you a short story. This is a much smaller, uh, smaller topic, but it's something that's very core to my story personally. One lie that I believed was a three-letter word, shy. I was raised always hearing, always hearing that I was shy. You know, I believed it. I was like, yeah, I'm shy. That's who I am. That's just, you know, that's who I am. Ever since I was a little kid, I was uncomfortable around people. I, I had stranger anxiety and all these other things like that. And my parents would just very simply say, oh, it's okay, he's just shy. You know, I'd hide behind my parents' leg. Oh, it's okay, he's just shy. And as I got older, I, that became embedded in my mind and I, I incorporated that into my identity. And I believed I'm shy. So that is how I operated all throughout my adolescence, all throughout my childhood, all throughout middle school, high school. I operated as if I was shy. And that's just who I was. I couldn't change it. Now, I'm very much an introvert, still an introvert. <laughs> I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm saying is that it moved from how I interact with people, how I find energy, to actually just being afraid of people and not knowing how to interact with people. And it took me until when I was 18, a few mentors of mine, uh, one in particular, sat me down and had this conversation with me. And he was like, hey, Alex, would you consider yourself shy? I was like, yeah. And then he'd ask, do people tell you that you're shy? He's like, yeah, people have told me I'm shy all my life. And he's like, do you like being shy? He's like, no, I hate it. It sucks. And he's like, why, why do you feel like you have to be shy? Why do you have to feel like you have to act that way? And I sat there and was like, oh, huh. And I resonated, I thought about it for a while and realized that I came to this conclusion, I'm like, yeah, I've bought into a lie. That's not who God created me to be. That was getting in the way. That lie was getting in the way of me truly living as God had created me to live. I didn't have to be afraid of people. I didn't have to be afraid of initiating conversation. And so I made a conscious decision. I thought about it over and over again. I told myself, that's not who, I'm, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm not shy. And it gave me freedom to operate and live as if I wasn't. And sure enough, Man, my life has changed. The way I interact with people has changed. I'm definitely not an extrovert still. I'm still an introvert. I'm still very introspective. It's fine. It's good. But I'm not afraid of initiating conversation. So there's a lie that I believed for so long that I had incorporated into my identity that wasn't true. And it was subtle, but it was enough to get me off track. Or I didn't feel peace. I didn't feel joy. I want to shift gears and let's keep moving through this list. But I think Paul put that one at the very top, because that is one of the most important. We have to think about what is true. The second word he uses is honorable. Now, honorable things, something that's not flippant or cheap. Honorable. We don't think about this word honor as much in our culture today. Honor. We, we love to distract ourselves. We love it, right? We absolutely love it. We have this device, most of us, that we can just pull out, and read whatever the heck we want to or play whatever game we want to or do anything to distract us in any given moment. And those things aren't necessarily wrong or bad, but they're flippant, they're kind of cheap. There's no, there's no honor to that, right? And I was convicted as I was preparing for this and realizing, man, I think a lot about football. 
I think a lot about football, especially with how poorly the Broncos are doing this year, and it is driving me absolutely insane, and it's very depressing. So I focus on football quite a bit, and God was asking me, he's like, you know, football is not a bad thing, but are you letting it consume your thoughts? Is that where your attention is going to? So football is a big one for me. Another one is technology. I'm a big tech nerd, so I love technology. I love phones. I love computers and stuff like that. If you're an iPhone user, I'm sorry, you don't know what a good phone really is. So <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Donald knows. <laughs> Donald knows. He's an Android user. We and him, me and him bond over that. But I spent a lot of time like, reading articles and kind of catching up and understanding the technology that is out there, and I'm a nerd about it. But I spent a lot of time thinking about it. It's not bad, but it, it consumes my thoughts. It's something I check and read every day. And God's, again, convicting me this week. I'm like, okay, not bad. Is that worthy of your attention? Is that worthy of your thoughts? Or is it cheap? Should you maybe let go of it a little bit? So honorable. This, uh, the next word, right. And this is right as in just. Whatever is right, whatever is just, think about these things. And thought about a contrast with that. Instead, we, we tend to think about pleasure, comfort, or easy things, easy ways around hard situations instead of what's right. And immediately what came to my mind as I was reading this is that there's been a handful of times in my life where God has made it very clear to me that he wanted me to go apologize to someone. And there's very few things in my life where I feel extremely, like God is really, really, really pushing me to do or say something, but that's where it's been for me is when I need to apologize, God convicts me to do it. And my natural response, like anybody, I think, is to find a way around it. We're like, oh, well, you know, if I just ignore that person long enough or if I stay away from them or I don't say anything and just pretend like nothing ever happened, give it a couple years and it'll be fine. There will be no more tension, no more conflict, it'll be good. And God's like, nope, <laughs> that's not right. That's easy. You need to go apologize. And a handful of those incident instances of my life, the, the person I was apologizing to didn't actually think I did anything wrong or didn't know that I did anything wrong. And that was kind of weird. So I'm like, okay, okay. But each time that I've been faithful and I've obeyed God in those moments, I left those situations feeling an overwhelming sense of that was right. It was hard, but it was right. It was good. It was good. I'm so glad that I have been able to do that and to hear God's voice and could go do those hard things because I leave feeling that that was just right. So do we think about right things or do we think about things that are easy? The next word is pure or sacred. Our world is full of things that are corrupt, dirty, nasty. A very, very easy one, especially when we're talking about thoughts, to point out is, is lust and, and I mean, you think about pornography. Pornography is a huge epidemic now, especially because we have crazy access to it. It's so easy to access. It's become a huge, huge problem. So some people, sometimes we're consumed with lust for others. Uh, um, that's a very easy one to point out, so I want to actually focus on a couple others. W anger and jealousy are two thoughts that are not pure. And sometimes we entertain them. We entertain these thoughts because we think, as, lo oh, as long as I'm not acting on it, it's okay, I can, you know, it's just, it's up here. It's not out here, it's up in my mind, so it's okay. I'm not acting on it. But what, what happens is when we allow ourselves to think these thoughts and simmer on them, then they change the way we act. They change our attitudes. So 
Thinking about anger, again, God's used this whole list to convict me this week, so I want to bring some of these things to you. Um, I was born and raised in Colorado, and traffic has continued to get worse every single year I've been here. I blame the Californians moving here. You guys, just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's all right, Brian, Brian is <laughs> in California too, the Hayes family. What? Yeah, you guys come here because there's no traffic, and you're making it worse. You're bringing it with you. Um, all that to say, joking aside, traffic's gotten worse, and I routinely feel like it is my God-given right and duty to tell people that they're being idiots on the road. If they are doing something wrong, I'm very quick to honk. If they're riding me too close, I'm very quick to tap my brakes. I, like, I love to let people know that they're not driving intelligently. But what that happens, and I, you know, I, think, I think this to myself, I'm like, oh, it's okay, I'm not flipping them off, or I'm not cussing, I'm not doing anything that's, that's crazy, so it's okay. But again, God convicted me and said, okay, you're just letting this anger simmer underneath the surface. This is making you an angry person. The more you entertain these thoughts, the more angry you become. It's not pure. It is not sacred. Same with jealousy. When you constantly focus on what other people have and what you don't have, when you constantly focus on what you don't have, there's nothing good that comes from that. You just constantly put, dig yourself into a deeper pit of despair, of bitterness. I'll tell you, Amanda and I are at a stage of life right now where many of our friends are buying their first homes. We don't have our first home, so it's so easy for us to, to constantly remind ourselves, oh, we don't have our home yet. We don't, you know, we don't have a place that we can truly call home. And it's so easy to do that, but we lose sight of all the amazing things that God has given us. So it's so easy for us to focus on these things, but those things are not pure. They're not sacred. And they take away the peace of God in our lives. They steal that peace. The next word is lovely. And this word can mean pleasing, it can mean acceptable, or my favorite, it can also mean winsome. Winsome is a fun word. Winsome. Whatever's winsome lovely. Think about those things. One thing that I, I notice in a lot of Christians and a lot of, I mean people in general, but Christians aren't an exception. I've noticed it in my own life quite a bit too. We can be very critical. We can be very, very critical. And that isn't winsome. That isn't lovely. How many of you like to spend time around someone that constantly finds faults with other people or things, or events, or anything. Do you like to be around those people? No. It's annoying. They just, they're a downer. They bring everything down. And sometimes Christians are the best at finding fault in everything and criticizing everything. And that is not lovely. That is not winsome. I think that is honestly one of the biggest things that has, stealing the church, uh, has stolen the church's witness to the world when we share the gospel. They look at so many Christians that are angry, bitter people that find everything that is wrong with the world. They don't see anything lovely around them. Paul says, think about what is lovely. Think about what is winsome. Think about the things that are good in the world. Think about the things that are good in other people. Instead of constantly focusing on how people are screwed up, focus on what they do well, or how God has designed them for something. It's so important that we get that in our minds because, it, I mean, think about a relationship. If I, and I actually struggle to do this because I can be very critical, but um, 
if in my marriage I constantly told Amanda everything that she does wrong, every little thing, and she's probably shaking her head, and she's like, he does that sometimes. But if I did that, that's just going to destroy her. That's going to wreck her. That's going to, to really drive us apart. Instead of looking at her and finding, oh my gosh, you do this so well, or thank you so much for doing this little thing this morning, or thank you so much for the way you handle Teddy, or to, you know, it's so easy to focus on what's wrong and just completely miss what is there that is lovely, that is winsome. So are we focusing on those things? Whatever is admirable, this one's a pretty easy one. Whatever's admirable. Think about things that are admirable, that people would admire you for or that you admire other people for. Think about those things. Excellence. Excellence, this is a general word for excellence. Anything that is good, that is really good, think about those things. Like music. I love music. Not all good music praises Jesus. But if you listen to really, 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 really excellent music, you find God in it because God has given us a spirit of creativity. He's created human beings to express that creative spirit that he had when he created the world. So it's good. Think about excellent things. It doesn't have to just be uh, Christian with whatever that label means. Worthy of praise. Those last three words are pretty similar, but whatever is worthy of praise, excellent, admirable, think about these things. So Paul says, think differently. This is so important. Think differently. Because if you continue to think about the things that are wrong, if you continue to believe the lies, if you continue to focus on things that don't matter, if you continue to let anger and jealousy and lust simmer, if you continue to do that, there's no reason that you're going to experience the peace of God. You're just not. It doesn't matter if you pray. If you constantly entertain those thoughts and think that way, you're not going to experience the peace of God. It's just not going to happen. William Barclay says this. He said, It is a law of life that if a man thinks of something often enough and long enough, he will come to the stage when he cannot stop thinking about it. Don't you find that to be true? It's really hard to change our thinking because when we think something long enough and often enough, it consumes our thoughts. We get into a pattern. We get into a habit. So we need to change our habit because if we're constantly living over here and believing the lies, believing what's wrong, you know, believing and thinking about all of these things over here, then we're just going to continue to become bitter, angry, lonely people. But if we come over here and start thinking about these, the, the, these categories that Paul gives us, whatever is true, lovely, just, pure, right, all these things, if, if we shift our thinking and constantly let these things consume our thoughts, there will come a point where that's all we can think about. And we will become people that are truly characterized by joy, by peace, by love. We have to change the way we think. And it's not just a one, one quick, oh, I think about this a couple minutes a day. You have to let your thoughts be consumed by these things. And I love this list because everything on this list describes Jesus himself. Do you think about Jesus throughout the day? Do you let thoughts of Jesus and of these characteristics and the word of God, this truth, do you let those things consume your thoughts throughout the day? If you don't think about Jesus throughout the day, you're not going to experience his peace. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a great, great verse. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. But Paul also wrote this, and this is one of the Christian hopes. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces, here's the word, contemplate, it's another thinking word, 
If we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One of the Christian hopes is that we are constantly being molded, shaped, and transformed into the image of Christ, into this list, into these godly characteristics. We're becoming more like Christ. We have to actually think along those lines. We have to think about Jesus if we're going to become like him. If we don't think about Jesus, if we don't think about these things, why in the world would we expect for God to just magically transform who we are? That's one of the Christian hopes is that we are being molded into the image of God more and more. We have this image, but we're being molded into the image of Christ. So we have to think differently. It is so crucial. But Paul isn't done. I've spent a lot of time on verse 8. Paul is not done. Not only do we need to think differently, we need to live differently. We have to live differently. It's not enough just to think differently. It's not enough. It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday mornings, learn a couple new things, and then go home unchanged, untransformed. It's not enough. So Paul says in verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He uses some great words. Whatever you've learned, whatever you've received. I've, Paul's saying, look, Philippians, I've taught you about scripture. I've preached Christ to, to you. I've taught you these things. Practice them. Put them into application in your lives. And then he uses, his, he uses himself as an example. He says, whatever you've heard in me or seen in me, do that. Look, I'm giving you an example. I'm not perfect, but I'm striving. I'm trying to follow Christ. So look to me as an example. And sometimes it's so easy for us. I don't know if you've ever looked at someone else like this. If you've ever looked at someone else and thought, oh man, I wish I knew as much scripture as they did. Or oh man, I wish I, I could pray as much as that person. Oh, I wish, I wish that I was loving towards others as much as that person. I wish I exhibited as much joy as that person. I wish I was, you know, we, we look at people and we look at other examples right in front of our faces and we want to be like that. We want to follow their example because they're exhibiting these qualities. But then we make excuses. We're so quick to say, ah, oh, you know, but I'm so busy. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. Or I've got these circumstances in my life, so I really can't be that happy. Or you don't know the type of people that are in my life, so it's really hard to love them. We make all these really big excuses. We have to stop making the excuses. We actually have to start looking to these examples and realizing, look, they're exhibiting God, godly qualities, so can I. I can do that. But it takes practice. We have to live differently and actually do these things. And Paul uses this word practice, and it's a great word because practice requires repetition. You have to repeat. You have to do things over again. We look at Again, you know, thinking about football, I think a lot about football, but thinking about these athletes, man, they play a game for a living. And they have to practice an insane amount and put tons of energy and effort and focus into their craft in order to be able to do what they do. They have to. Musicians, same thing. If you want to be a good musician, if you want to come up here like anybody else on stage today and just play an instrument and, and make it look natural, you have to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of, times, of time learning scales, notes, basic chord theory, like the, the most boring things. But you have to practice. It doesn't happen instantly. And sometimes we think our walk with Jesus is supposed to be easy. 
Sometimes we think, and I think this is where we get verse seven wrong, that verse I've been struggling with. I think we get this wrong because sometimes we come to God and we pray for something once. And if we don't feel the peace of God, if we don't get instant results, we're done. We stop. Or we come to read our Bibles once, expecting and hoping that God would just open heaven and speak exactly what we need to hear for that given moment instantly. But we come to Scripture once and I'm like, oh, that was confusing. I don't really know what, what he was saying. Or I didn't really feel anything. God didn't speak to me. We stop. We read it once and we stop. But Paul is saying, look, it's not that simple. Don't expect to pray once and feel this overwhelming sense of peace of God because it doesn't work that way. It comes with your lifestyle. It comes with your thoughts. It comes with the way you live because God doesn't always change the circumstances in our lives the way we want him to. When we think of peace, when we think peace, we tend to think of an absence of conflict. That's what we think about. We think, like, everything's easy, no conflict, no tension, everything's okay. The Jewish concept of peace, and that's the concept that, that they're all working here, working with here, the Jewish concept of peace is not that everything's easy, it's that everything is right. Everything is as God has intended it. There's goodness. And because we live in a fallen world with a lot of crap and a lot of evil, the peace of God doesn't necessarily mean our circumstances are fine or easy. You can experience the peace of God in any circumstance. And it's not because God will just instantly just fix everything. It's because he's going to make you and mold you into his image. You're going to start thinking like God. You're going to start acting with these godly characteristics. And then you will feel this sense of life is right. Just good. It's hard, but it's good. It says God intended it. That's the peace that we got here. And we have to repeat and practice this stuff. So if you like memory devices or if you like uh, consonants, here's a, here's a fun way to remember all this. If you ponder something, if you ponder these things, and if you practice these things, you will experience peace. Ponder and practice and peace. But the curious thing here is, at the end of verse 9, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. And once I got to that part in my preparation, God really hit me over the head with a a difficult question. And I want to ask it to you too. Do you actually want God? Do you actually want God or do you just want the peace that he has to give you? You see, sometimes when we pray, I think I see this in my life too. Sometimes when I pray, sometimes when I come to God, when I come with, with anything, whatever, whatever I'm struggling, what I really want is just God to make it go away. I want, I want every, all the conflict to, to subside. I want the tension to go away. I just want the peace. And so I pray once and I don't get it and I'm done. But this says that God of peace will be with you if you do these things. And it made God asked me, he's like, do you actually want me? Do you actually want a relationship with me or do you just want what I have? If you think about a parent-child relationship, I dread the day uh, when Teddy gets old enough to, to be obstinate and, and uh, decide to reject me or rebel or anything like that. But if you can imagine, especially parents, you can get this. If you have a kid who comes up to you and says, 
Uh, allowance, please. <sighs> allowance, hello, food, food? Can I have food? Keys, car keys, please, I need to go. Uh, I want your stuff, please. Give me, give me all the stuff, give me, give me. No, I don't wanna tell you how my day is. No, I don't wanna talk to you, just give me your stuff, please. And we just turn our head and just hold our arms out. That sucks, right? That's not a real relationship. That's not what God wants from us. God wants to actually have a relationship with us. And that's why this says, Paul saying, the God of peace will be with you because when we think differently, when we live differently, when we take the word of God seriously and actually apply it to our lives, we get a relationship with God. And sometimes that's not what we want. So as we close today, I want to ask you that question and and ask you to really take inventory of your heart. Slow down a little bit and ask yourself, what do I really want? Do I actually want God or am I just after something that he has? Because that question, how you answer that, will, will very much determine the way you live and the way you pray, the way you read scripture. And I also want to urge you that Paul gave all these lists, or this, this whole list, all these words. I personally was pretty convicted by most of them, and I'm sure many of you heard at least one word that really stuck out to you about the way you think, how you see the world, the way you think about things. Take that to God this week, really wrestle through it, and ask God to help change your thinking. Like I said, this isn't easy. This is not an easy thing to do, but if we take this seriously, if we strive to think differently, to live differently, and look to the word of God as as our guide, and we pray fervently, not just to get what God has to give us, but to get God, we will experience his peace. We will experience his joy. We will. So I hope that's an encouragement for you this morning, especially if you are here thinking, I've prayed before and I haven't felt any different. I hope that this is an encouragement to you and that this gives you hope that, that God has so much more in store for you than you could possibly imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Uh, I'm so grateful that that you've given us an entire book, one that few of us really ever read the whole thing. You've given us an entire book full of truth, full of your word for us. I pray that you would help us to think differently, help us to think your thoughts. Help us to live and practice these things that you've given us. Help us to let this truth impact not just today, but our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the following Sunday. Help us to take this with us and to not go home and forget it in an hour. Help us to really apply this and see what you want to do in us and through us. Father, we thank you. We give you this morning and ask that you more than anything would empower us with your Holy Spirit. You would draw us closer to you and help us to grow and into a deeper relationship with you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus.